Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Bill Marion, the Air Force's Deputy Chief Information Officer. And Bill, this is an exit interview. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm sad to see you leaving, but congratulations on your decision and thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you very much, Jason. We've got to start at the, b- the beginning whenever I do an exit interview with CIOs who are leaving. What made you decide that today is the right time to and clarify? Are you retiring or just leaving federal service? I know you've, you've been in for 28 years, but I would say you're probably not quite old enough to retire, but maybe I'm projecting here. Are you retiring or leaving federal service and why now? Yeah, I do have enough time to retire, but it is, I'm not old enough, so I don't uh, guard the retirement, but it is basically retirement. Really, it was a, is a family decision. I, you know, it's time to reprioritize a few things. So this going back to Texas, we'll be going back home just for a bunch of family reasons. So I've been running fast and hard for 28 years and kind of putting career first. So it's going to, going to balance more of the career and family with, with the move back. I will be joining a global SI, so I, I look forward to doing that. And I also look forward to my, my role there is going to be to come back and really help the federal space and DOD space and in the whole digital modernization world. So so while I'm leaving directly the Air Force and that, that kind of is a new stage, uh, I look forward to still being able to help and, and provide some service from the outside, if you will. You mentioned the global SI. I imagine you don't want to tell us who quite yet. Yeah, not until I leave. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. I always can uh, read the tea leaves when someone doesn't say the name, but they just kind of give that that broad perspective. And you, it's good to hear you'll still be in the federal market. Do you, do you know specifically the type of work you'll be doing? Meaning, is it is it like a chief technology officer's type role, or is it more of the implementation strategy? Do you know yet? The principal focus will be on strategy and implementation. So certainly leveraging uh, the 28 years in the cyber and IT business to help shape and support from the outside. I do believe industry has a huge role inside of the Department of Defense and in the federal space. So again, hopefully I can I can just help accelerate that from the outside and better translate requirements into, into execution. But it, it's a strategic role uh, with the global SI. All right, excellent. We will learn more as time uh, permits and, 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 and the right time happens. Uh, and where in Texas are you going to go back to? We've got to ask that question. Yeah, moving back to Austin. Uh, so it's kind of geo-centered around family. So uh, certainly a good tech company as well, or tech uh, city as well. Uh, so it gives me some reaches into the federal space in San Antonio and Austin and Futures Command, but uh, a bunch of touch points uh, in that area. So, so it's a good kind of centralized area in Texas to go to. All right, because I was going to say, if it was Dallas, we'd have to have some words being a Washington football fan that I am. I mean, I'd have to you have to talk through that a little bit. Let's talk about your federal career a little bit. 28 years, was it all with the Air Force? Did you work anywhere else in government or with the military? And um, let, let's talk maybe how you got into federal service in the first place. I can't got it with, it was a kind of luck. I, I graduated during the dot-com bust. I was a math major uh, with all of seven students at a small college in San Antonio and just happened to re- run into an Air Force recruiter for civilian positions. And uh, so what the heck, I don't have any other offers. And, and frankly, it was, it was kind of fortuitous. They, they offered me a job as an IT specialist inside the Intel community. And then the rest was history. So it, it was a little bit of luck mixed with, uh, uh, you know, wanting to join in the IT and cyberspace, but, but coming fortuitous across that. I came in, I don't say this slightly, it's kind of the American dream. I, I had two parents that were, or my parents were teachers, didn't have a lot of money. I paid my way through school and through a baseball scholarship, academic scholarship, just kind of making ends meet. And it came in very quietly as a GS7. I joke is with COVID, I'll, I'll probably walk away pretty quietly as a senior civilian inside of Air Force in the IT and cyberspace. So I, it, 
it literally is the American dream to me of coming in at the lowest levels of, of Air Force and then and then retiring at the highest uh, peak. And I don't take that lightly. As far as the journey, you know, started in Air Intelligence Agency principally. So again, IT specialist in, in the Intel world. Uh, honestly, it was the big foundational step for as we built into cyber. Uh, so when I, I went over to the 67th wing, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, probably a little bit later, but a lot of the shaping of the cyberspace and then working at Air Combat Command, moving there as a senior civilian, and then Air Force Base Command, uh, working for General Hyten, that really shaped a lot of a lot of my views on IT and cyber. And then moving up to the Air Staff as a senior executive, uh, working first in the A1 as a CIO and learning the personnel and getting my feet wet in, this, in the SES Corps, uh, and then moving up in the Deputy CIO. So it has definitely been an interesting ride over about five locations, kind of continuing to kind of grow the trade craft and, and build the network. When you walked in the first time and, and you were all of a sudden you know, thrust into the Air Intelligence Agency, had you had any background in government? Had you had any uncles, aunts, sisters, brothers, cousins who had done, because you said both parents were teachers. So a lot of times what I hear is people say, well, my dad, my mom worked for the government for a long time. And that's how I understood what it was. Did you have any of that coming in? No, great, great question. Because absolutely my aunt, like she headed education, like college education for military personnel at an Air Force base, just had her in the highest regards as well. And so, you know, she was kind of my always had, well, a little bit interested in federal and her sense of service was incredible, you know, helping airmen, no stripers get their college education through local college and university. So I absolutely had that tie there. Um, I frankly didn't know what I was getting into. I wasn't going to college thinking I was going to go into federal service, uh, but certainly I have no qualms, no issues or regrets from, from doing so. But yeah, my aunt was a, a huge figure in, in that side of it. Find that there's always that connection with a lot of people who spent near, you know, a right. lot of their careers in government. There's somebody who has kind of at least influenced them in some way because they see, oh, it's not just the big government, right? I always enjoy right. when people talk about, well, that government, well, do you know someone in the government? Well, no. Well, there you go. That's why you just call it the government. Right. So you went from <laughs> uh, air intelligence and you, you learned about that. Then uh, you moved into uh, the 67th wing a little bit, which was, is explain to me what the 67th wing is. 67th wing at the time was the largest wing in the Air Force. It was 15,000 people, had about 120 locations around the globe. So as an intelligence organization, we weren't like a traditional Air Force wing. We were all over the world and in various places with a ton of infrastructure. And so that's where I got my feet wet in the IT and cyber business with respect to global IT footprint in all places of the world. And so the reason I was brought over there is with my technical background in Intel, AI, I mean, uh, IT and cyber was when we transformed the 67th wing into uh, what is now a 67th cyber wing. So it was that pivot to split apart Intel and cyber so we could focus down on the cyber elements and really build up that, that organizational construct. And then just recently you saw with the, the stand-up of 16th Air Force we brought Intel and cyber uh, back together because we saw that now that cyber has grown up enough and there's these huge synergies back with Intel, we've, we've brought 16th Air Force together. So I was in on the very early stages as the wings, plans, and programs person to work manpower and programmatics and palms uh, to basically build the 67th wing that we're, that we're using today uh, operationally. And as you go back and look at the, the beginning of your career to now, how much are things different 
from an IT cyber perspective today than they were when you first started. When you talk about the dot-com <laughs> bust, you're talking about, I guess, late 90s, right? Yeah, I, I graduated in, in early 90s um, and was in the core of, of that transformation in the late 90s. So, yeah, I, I think the foundations of IT and cyber have stood the test of time. I do think the tools and the approaches dramatically change. So the foundation, I always tell my folks, I mean, you have to be strong technically in our field. Those are the things that stay with you, you know, logic skills and technical skills and coding or engineering. Uh, but you really have to keep up up to speed with all of the technology approaches and the strategies, the business models for our industry partners. So I, I would say it's drastically changed as much as the the techniques and the ways we leverage the tools has, has definitely changed over the years. I always enjoyed when they talked about cloud computing initially, if you remember back in the <laughs> 2010, 2011, they're like, well, cloud, cloud, cloud. And I said, well, isn't yeah. that just the ASP, the alternative service provider? You probably remember that as something that was just kind of maybe petering out in the early 90s. And then we had seat yeah. management and we had stuff like that. I mean, there's a very much a feeling as, as yes, the technology changes, but the way we talk about it, the way the government uses it is, is very similar. I mean, is, is that one of the big trends you point to during your career that, yeah, we went from, you know, client server to this idea of cloud and then this bigger idea of cloud. I mean, is that something you kind of yeah. can recognize? I think there's always compute on the backside and there's compute at the endpoints and how you, you know, where, where the heavy lift is done. So I came in right as the mainframes were dying inside of, of AIA. Um, one of my first big projects was to convert ourselves off the wings onto a client server environment with Banyan vines and, and windows boxes. Uh, now I'm really dating myself. Uh, then you get in the full bore, you know, client server environment. Then you start to get into web centric. Now you're into, then you get into the data center world and then into the cloud world. I, I think it's just a shift to where you put the resources. You know, we tend to make these things really complex over time. And so we have to shift to be able to stay up with the complexity. Now the big shift of, you know, mobile devices and cloud, and that's core to our digital air force strategy uh, is really foundational. So, but at the, end, at the end of the day, it's an endpoint with some kind of back office compute capability, right? It's just a matter of how much data is, is resident on the endpoint or in the cloud or vice versa. And certainly the magnitude of data is grossly and exponentially increased, which puts some challenges on the, the infrastructure all in all. All right, Bill, it sounds like we're, uh, you're leaving us off for a great place to take a quick break. So let's take a quick break. My guest is Bill Marion, Deputy CIO of the Air Force. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Bill Marion, the Deputy Chief Information Officer of the Air Force. Bill, this is an exit interview of sorts for you. You are leaving uh, federal service after 28 years, and we learned a little bit about your background, how you kind of fell into the federal service, which is uh, always a great story. When I, I love hearing that. So let's talk about your career a little bit. You, you give us a little bit of a heads up, but talk about some of the programs, the projects, the, the things you're most proud of that you accomplished during your 28 years. Early on, years in the intel community, uh, that's where I really sharpened my teeth on, on IT and modernization. So got to work some of the, the greatest platforms, you know, the, the U2s, the distributed ground systems, uh, the intelligent systems of the world, working with some of the, the three-letter agencies. And, when, and what it really taught me was how do you scale and how do you look at the large scale and, and connected IT, right? Intelligence is all about global data and how you get it together and how you, when you think about AI and data analytics, it's, it's a primary use case for, for intelligence. So that's, that's where I really 
cut my teeth early on for the first several years of, of my career. Um, the other big step was, was moving over to the 67th, at the time, intelligence wing and helping them make the transition into a full-up uh, cyber wing. At the time, we called it information operations wing. And so that was when we were making this big pivot from not just intelligence, but, but how is cyber a war fighting domain and how do we fully transition and operationalize that in the larger context of war fighting? Um, so huge amount of effort there. Uh, probably my proudest moments, but best job in my career because it had the most impacts from a, from a war fighting and a service capability. From there, the, you know, the next big shift was the, over to Air Combat Command as the Chief Technology Officer. So although it's, it's, name, it's commonplace now, uh, that's where I, I take great pride of bringing iPhones and, and iPads into the DoD marketplace. So back in the early, early 2000s, being able to drive mobile computing, driving things like the electronic flight bag, changing the way we work and extending that environment. Again, it's, it's kind of commonplace now, but at the time there were huge implications uh, and, and challenges with security, uh, cloud infrastructure, and, and whatever we call it at the time and the like. So I really, really prided myself on the, the fact that I've got an Etch-a-Sketch in my office as a joke, but you know, bringing iPhones in, now the Etch-a-Sketch is kind of the iPhone. I mean, we, it's commonplace. We expect them to be all around the place. And uh, that was a really cool initiative. Uh, and then the pivot before moving to air staff was was the Air Force Space Command under General Hyten uh, and General Shelton, and and that was really a big opportunity to to look at large scale IT, the integration with the space community, uh, to make that next step in cyber and cyber weapon systems, and how we fielded and protected um, our national defense. So, uh, great opportunity there. And then uh, up into my current jobs, both at the A1 CIO and now the the Air Force FB CIO and working large-scale digital modernization. Can we blame you for getting rid of the BlackBerry that all federal employees seem to have back in those early 2000s? And you were the one who said, hey, why don't we try that iPhone thing? Well, oh, ironically enough, we run BlackBerry today on our iPhones, right? So the, the security software shift that BlackBerry did, uh, we actually run that security software on our iPhones and iPads and, and Android devices. So the irony isn't lost on me. If we use technology correctly, uh, you know, technology can morph with us as well. So the ability to bring security and the iPhone together was was also one of those projects. Uh, that's that's actually a fascinating story because it's definitely a way. We're not here to talk about BlackBerry, but the way they've changed the way they they meet the market and see what the market looks like. The other one that's really interesting you brought up was the flight bag. Discuss your role in helping that because I think that was a big change from either maps or charts or, or something that the pilots had to use to everything being on a tablet. Uh, I remember writing about that years ago. What was your role in, right. in helping make that shift happen? So the role there was less about the application as much as, you know, part of the Part of the security side of it was how do you manage the endpoint so you make sure that that map is the right map that the data on there is the right data so had a role in the management software and the fielding if you will and some of the the enterprise uh, purchases of the devices themselves uh, so it was more of the ecosystem around what would support the efbs the electronic flight bags you know a lot of those applications are actually brought out from faa and and, and the like organizations so uh, but being able to field those and also work the, the infrastructure, the Wi-Fi and the 4G connectivity at the time uh, to be able to connect them uh, and, and be able to download some pretty large scale files was, was more of the role there. 
And now, if I understand it correctly, it's commonplace. Now, I think most or all pilots have that electronic flight bag now. Is that correct? It, it is a significant number. Certainly, uh, the fighters are a little bit different model than a, a heavy or a air mobility. But certainly, an air mobility command, it is, it is a very much a commonplace where there's multiple devices on every flight. The other thing you brought up uh, that I just want to touch on is the cybersecurity piece, because you mentioned it wasn't just what you learned from the 67th Intel wing and, and helping that kind of move into that operationalization of cybersecurity, but also what you learned from the Airspace Command. I mean, what's one what thing that stands out over your career about cybersecurity? Because it's the type of thing when you talk about it in government that CISOs and the CIOs seem to get, but the mission people still are having trouble grasping. I mean, they know they lost something at OPM or they lost their data at, you know, Target or something like that. But, but the why, the, the, the why it's important is, is sometimes still there's a gap there. Yeah, and I, I think you're, you're going to see it in, you, you have seen it inside of our risk management framework. And so when you talk about cyber and mission, there's a couple key factors. One is speed. Cyber is at a pace that far outpaces our modernization strategies. And so how as a CIO with CISO responsibilities driving speed in our risk management? The other one is that risk balance. Um, one of my biggest waking moments, one of my core stories I, I tell folks is in the 67th wing when you're faced with this very much a life or death situation in, in how you address it and how you manage risk in a situation where it's no longer a, a, a vague policy discussion. It's literally a life at the, at, in a country and not necessarily the best place. And so how is a commander or how is a person to a commander providing advice knowing that a life is on the other end of that decision? And so I, I don't, it doesn't, that's never lost me from a lesson learned as when you look at security, it's really different because ultimately if that airframe's technical design is, is taken or data is exfiltrated, we just don't make as many connections, but that's absolutely the same connection. We are going to put lives in danger. Now, with that said, how do you balance the risk so that speed can continue to be your friend instead of your enemy? And so that's why this whole pivot, and when we talk about risk management framework uh, modernization, uh, those lessons early in my life are, are still working with me today about you, you've got to put those risk equations front and center, but then also act on them operationally, knowing that it's an imperfect answer. Warfighting is not a perfect answer, and neither is cyber, but you have to make a decision and you have to fight through that. There's so much we talk about risk, 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 but agencies still struggle with understanding, well, what is my risk and how do I mitigate it and how do I manage it? I think you're right that understanding that, I think that perspective of, oh, there's a person's life on the other side of that is much different than just, well, if we lose, you know, uh, data, we lose data and that's bad, but it, it's it's definitely less right. hard and, and it's, it's, as I think you said, no longer a vague policy decision. I thought that was a good point. When you look back uh, across your career, anything you wish you would have spent more time on, any any direction you wish you would have maybe gone in, like, oh, if I'd only done, stayed in programming, boy, would my life be different today? Anything you can comment there? <laughs> Frankly, I don't have any regrets. I mean, I, I there's certainly some things I would love to push, been able to push more time on. I, I look back and it was a an interesting sequence of the foundational steps to, to be the deputy CIO, right? The IT background, the Intel background, the cyber background. Um, working for some very stellar, uh, as I mentioned, working for General Hyten, a phenomenal leader that really taught me a ton. So, I mean, 
I, I, I don't know that I could have planned it any better than it, it, than it came about. So no regrets there. I do think the, the thing that we've got to invest more in going forward certainly is the whole digital talent management side of it. So I think it's, it's kind of creeped up on us as a nation. We talk about it a little bit more every year and we do a little bit more every year, but I, I would honestly say it's time to rip off the proverbial Band-Aid on that one and, and really make some core, core investments. You know, the stories around the West Points coming out with every graduate knowing Python or having logic skills or I, I think we live in a digital environment and that is only going to get more and more in everyone's life, whether you want to or not. And so how are we really digitally equipping every single airman and civilian that comes in the workforce? I, you know, anybody that comes after me, I know we'll get to some some go do's, but that that's the piece that. I wish I would, would have seen that 20 years ago because it's you don't get yourself out of that dilemma uh, real quickly. The, the other one I would have just done a little bit sooner. We're, we're doing it now, but really focused more as an IT leader on the user experience. Uh, so often we get wrapped up into the technical side of things and whether we implemented a tool or didn't implement a tool. And, and so, you know, I, I think you, you heard the story. We hired Colt Whittle as a UX uh, kind of focused expert to help us really look at what does that end-to-end -end experience really look like because ultimately that's all that matters it's like effects-based operations and war fighting it only matters if that bomb gets on target it doesn't matter how pretty the bomb is and it's the same thing with with it delivery it's got to work and it's got to be reliable and it's got to be extended everywhere it needs to be so those would be the kind of two i would i, I just wish i would have spent more time on early on we've we've done some work there but just not enough I always find it funny that we talk about customer experience today in such a way. Do you get a sense, and when you look back in the when you first started in the mid to late '90s, that customer experience maybe we didn't call it that, but was the customer always secondary? I mean, people love to talk about oh, they just throw the requirements over the fence and hope it gets done. Was the customer really that far out of it, or is it just it's a different mindset today? How how would you kind of compare and contrast today versus again, fifteen twenty? I think it was just a different mindset. I mean, the speed, the need for speed has only exponentially ramped up as well, right? I mean, that, that iPhone app that is 30 days late, uh, nobody ever uses because somebody already beat them to market. Um, that wasn't the case, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. I mean, it still was a, a waterfall, two or three year um, application release cycle. So I, I think it's more of just the maturation of the tech community there's an iPhone out every couple of months. There's new apps every day. There's, you know, new, new data tools. Um, so I think it's just a nature of the business more than anything. Well, let's take a quick break. My guest is Bill Marion, the deputy CIO of the Air Force. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Bill Marion, the Deputy Chief Information Officer of the Air Force. Bill, this is an exit interview of sorts for you. You are leaving uh, federal service after 28 years. Bill, you talked about earlier in the discussion, if you will, the to-do list for the next Air Force CIO. So let's start there. What advice would you have for that person and uh, what's on his or her to-do list? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, in, in this position, the, you know, the last two years has been about building an integrated IT digital modernization roadmap. And so first and foremost, as a CIO, the alignment of funding, the alignment of governance, the alignment of oversight, uh, we've worked extremely hard to, to get that alignment. And I, I really, I truly think we're there. And as I, the other article noted the other day, um, we've got the secretary and the chief financially supporting that investment strategy because they see it aligned to warfighting and, and capabilities. 
So continuing to prog progress on that one, continuing to along that roadmap line, all of the, the enterprise IT as a service and related uh, IT modernization, digital modernization efforts are, are very front and, and center. We have to keep accelerating those, keep driving them. You know, I think 5G, everybody knows the investments there, but I think we're gonna accelerate that even more. You see unified collaborations, COVID is actually gonna, gonna drive that one, accelerate even more. And then the journey we're on right now with CDO is with data as a strategic asset. So accelerating ITAS is a key one. And then as I mentioned a little bit before, digital talent management, this how we're equipping an entire DOD force for advanced analytic skills, data skills, uh, even programmatic skill, programming skills uh, is really gonna be key. Uh, and then the last but not least was the discussion we had on risk management. Um, we have to continue to transform risk management uh, programs like the bug bounty programs, continuous assessments, uh, looking at dashboarding of risk and being able to execute at speed. Uh, that, that's the world we live in. We have to be able to adjust based upon that risk model every day. So compliance-based risk is, is just not going to work. We've actually got to get into this truly active continuous monitoring format. So that's kind of a little bit of everything. I mean, there's some CIO governance and, and road mapping. There's the IT investments, the talent management, and the cyber risk. Um, very, very aligned to the goals that, that I published over the last two years, but I think the details underneath the hood is, is where really money is to be made, if you will. Let's unpack a couple of those real quick, and just so uh, we can put a little more final point. Uh, I want to go back to the point you made earlier about the digital talent management, something maybe you wish you would have done earlier we're gotten started earlier, but you're glad it's it's on its way now. One of the things the Air Force has always been, I think, ahead of other agencies and military services is, for instance, around cyber. You guys, I think, had the first cyber training. You guys really looked at how to ensure that airmen, as they came in, whether or not they were in the IT, a cyber world, understood at least some of the basics around cyber. That's part of driving this digital talent management. How are you guys doing it today, and where do you see it going, you know, three, five, seven years from now? Uh, I wish we had the answer. There, there are a couple things we're focused on. One is uh, we've talked publicly about digital university, which is how do you democratize the training? So that's kind of a foundational step uh, to making sure the tools are there uh, for every airman to be able to go in. And much like my son learns off of YouTube every day, it needs to be that prevalent and that democratized. We are looking at some things like around language initiatives to, if you could take and, and, and see if people are no Python or R, how do you incentivize uh, further development based upon real life skills? And so there's a, a financial and an occupational tie that we're trying to make. And then the, the, the larger piece of it is just our workforce structure. How do we force develop somebody through that that isn't a native? So I, I do think we've done a really good job developing cyber airmen that are more in those occupational series. But I think the, what I'm really trying to itch at at the digital talent management is, you know, I, I use the term every airman, a digital airman. And so the, the young folks aren't the issue, right? It's the, the folks <laughs> up in my age group that don't necessarily have all those skills. So how do we make every airman a digital airman through the use of tools, incentives, workforce opportunities to continue to develop and, and modernize in that space? I had a conversation a couple of months back with someone from the National Security Agency, maybe even U.S. Cyber Command, and they talked about some of the incentives they're using to bring in people and get them trained. So if you train at this level, you get this much money. If you train at that level, you get this much of a bump. Is that very similar to what you're starting to look at? Or is they're special because they're cyber and you're looking at digital, you may not have that much flexibility or at least 
the ability to offer too much financial. We've got the flexibilities. Congress has been outstanding with giving us authorities for expedited hire and direct hire and ability to incentivize, but uh, we haven't gotten there yet with actually putting in a whole of DOD or federal, the dollars behind that. And that's where I was going to, with respect to that's an area that we often talk about infrastructure, stimulus, fixing bridges, roads, those kind of things. We don't do a really good job just investing in teachers, right? Because it's, it's a very large bill, but how are we ever going to progress if we don't invest in teachers in the, in the regular academic world? Same kind of thing goes through in the DOD is how do we make those big investments that, that really are game changing in our workforce? I think we've done that in the scenes. I think there are communities that have done it. Uh, what I'm talking about is kind of the whole of government to really accelerate. I'm not sure we're quite there yet. I'm going to shift over to another big topic, which is the enterprise IT as a service. I was um, on a recent webinar where uh, one of your folks talked about the progress you guys are making. You and I had a conversation several months ago, and I learned quite a bit, and this this, uh, this was even better. This was even more details. You're starting to see some benefits. AT&T has launched their uh, mesh network, and I think 10% of the, their users are using it. We, we, you and I talked about the SAIC, formerly Unisys, on the ITSM and, and the help desk, and about 70,000 users there. Microsoft and their mesh network is very close as well. What are you starting to see from, from Enterprise IT as a service, and what's it telling you about the future of, of this program? And Yeah, you, you've hit some of them. I mean, the other uh, Enterprise IT as a service, Cloud One, our Enterprise Cloud piece continues to be very successful. We have 40 large-scale applications in there. Uh, continue to leverage that for our platform services as well in Platform One. So Cloud One as an Enterprise IT as a service initiative is going very well. Our chess, our cloud-hosted enterprise services, our Office 365 work, by the end of this year, we will be completely done with the Air Force. We have a little over 600,000 users in that today. Continuing to move forward in mobile with our BYOD program, uh, accelerating that option. The SAC Unisys work is, is probably the, the farthest ahead with respect to performance. The 70,000 users turned on in pretty short order uh, was, was very successful. starts to unify the help desk provide AI on the help desk trouble ticketing system and starting to provide that, that more repeatable and, and uh, stable endpoint that we've been looking for. Network as a service has had some challenges, but, but they are moving forward. I, I'm definitely seeing some good progress, specifically in the Microsoft side on, on the work they're doing and starting to transform the way we look at, at the network. So the, the bottom line is there's a, a couple challenges in there, like there isn't any big project, but I think there's some really big goodness around these big programs around cloud, mobile devices, end-user support, help desk. Uh, and right now, our, our biggest kind of focus is how do we start to scale those into large numbers of users from an acquisition perspective? So that's that's one of the big key next steps for, for whoever follows me. When we talk about that person as well, what's the biggest maybe lesson you learned from this enterprise IT as a service that you'd pass on? If you write a note that you leave in your you know, top desk drawer under EITAS, what, what are you going to say there? In the department and in the government, it's it's about partnering. So a great partnership with the Army. Definitely, definitely enjoyed uh, working for Honorable DC as the DOD CIO. I think he brings a level of partnering that it, uh, not that others have been bad at, but I think he's brought it to a whole nother level. So the, the partnership to drive these unified enterprise pieces, because we are large and, and we do need to prop each other up and, and support each other, uh, whether that's in an acquisition or in 
uh, strategic comms or whatever the case may be. So strategic partnership, I think, is the biggest one, both inside the building and across the river, because these are large dollars. They're large programs, which typically, you know, 10 years ago, we'd say, here's another failed IT project. So the fact that we're delivering on projects that are affecting 500, 600, 700,000, I think you can't take it lightly that the teamwork uh, and the work with the acquisition community is is so foundational to that. The relationship with, in our case, with AppCyber, with General Hawk, with General Gunny Schmidt um, out at the PEO, uh, General Radigi at Lead Command, and General Wegeman at Air Combat Command, and then our team, we sometimes take that for granted when it's running well. I, that's probably the hardest thing for me to leave is is those sets of individuals that have really done phenomenal work to, to bring this infrastructure together. Well, let's take a quick break. My guest is Bill Marion, Deputy CIO of the Air Force. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Bill Marion, the Deputy Chief Information Officer of the Air Force. Bill, this is an exit interview of sorts for you. You are leaving uh, federal service after 28 years. I want to go back to one one last of the priorities that you kind of went through before we move on to some other topics. You mentioned the data, everything we, we hear these days, it's all about the data. And you mentioned the, the Chief Data Officer that you guys hired. Uh, uh, talk a little bit about the, the impact that data is having on the Air Force. Talk a little bit about the fact that you guys are making better decisions today because of that data? Where, where do you see this going, this effort going in the future? It's certainly the, I would say, the newest service, if you will, that we've been been embarking on. I mean, you look at COVID right now, numerous activities going on there with respect to getting the data, getting it tied into readiness information, uh, operational information. I think, frankly, you know, we're moving out very well, but there's still a lot of maturity to go. And that just has to do with it, it being a, a relatively new focus area for us. Being able to aggregate the level of data that we're talking about is is mind-boggling, uh, frankly. Uh, I thought infrastructure at scale was hard. Data at scale is even harder. So I think we've progressed several steps. We know we've got multiple steps to go, but I, I think we are focused on the right infrastructure elements, the right uh, data elements, if you will, to bring that together. And you're seeing that play out in some use cases with COVID. You're seeing some use cases play out in, in the AI step with with the joint AI cell uh, General Shanahan's been running. But we, we all recognize we have a lot more work to do. Uh, but there is definitely some gains in, in analytics and, and data aggregation uh, that we're seeing play out in COVID as an example right now. Without a doubt, that idea of understanding the who and the what and the where and all those things that data brings you is, is making a big difference. Right. Well, you kind of answered this question around advice to others or big lessons you've learned at the collaboration, the communication piece. Is there any other pieces and parts you'd offer to other CIOs or people who want to become CIOs? Any other advice you'd give them? Uh, the biggest one I, I use leaving is, is use the carrot versus the stick. Um, I, I think as CIOs, we I've seen multiple CIOs come in and be unsuccessful just saying, well, if I write the policy, everybody will have to conform I'm just a big believer in, in working through the carrot versus the stick mentality. I, I believe technology drives policy more than policy drives technology. So the best thing you can do as a CIO is start small, scale fast, and run like hell. So, you know, when you make a successful cloud project and you get another one and another one, people want to be a part of that uh, versus saying, hey, you need to comply with something that has no, no basis of technical foundation. So that, that's probably the biggest one that I would say. We hear that time and again, it's the little wins. Get the little wins to show that you're a partner, not somebody who's going to stand in your way. 
the joke was always right. don't be the CIO no, but but be figure out how to get to yes, and, and then how do you get there? And I think you're right. The, the, right. the carrot piece is is so much more important than just being the person who's always putting up the obstacle. It takes a long time. Do you think to to learn that, or is that something that those digital people in the Air Force, those digital airmen should should already know? You, you know what I mean? Like if you think about somebody who's a 25 year old who wants to uh, <laughs> ascend to your position eventually, do they have those skills already? Just based on the way technology is so intricate to everything we do these days. Well, that, that goes into the other pieces, always be up to speed in the tech. I think if you're up to speed with the tech, you understand the realm of the possible and you can push the envelope. And I, I think the biggest change in, in government or issue in government isn't the CIOs an, an agent for change. I think everybody expects that it's a good CIO versus a bad one is how fast can you change? How fast can you do you, do you know the technology enough? Do you know the drivers? Do you know the industry pressures to drive it at speed? It's not that people will argue with you about an iPhone, but they will argue about security. They'll argue about PII. They'll argue about, do you understand those nuances well enough to fight through them and deliver both the security and privacy and other things uh, at a speed that, that others may go, well, I don't quite understand this. So it takes them a long time to work through it. So I, I think a good CIO is, you know, understands the tech and can drive through it with, with a lot more speed and agility. Was there anything you did during your career to keep up with the tech? Because it's easy to get lost in the strategy. It's easy to get lost in the day-to-day and not go, oh, I didn't realize that that cloud thing is new. Yeah, I'd say this to a, to a lot of the younger airmen, I, and this isn't a political statement because I know Twitter can, but I, I have used Twitter for the last decade uh, to stay connected with industry partners, to understand the trends, we have a thing in the Air Force called the early bird, which is kind of your news every day when you wake up. Twitter is my early bird. I, I could peruse the latest trends, tech trends, market pressures, all that kind of stuff. So that's, uh, and then kind of alongside that is is making the connections with industry partners. Understand what's real, what's emerging. I mean, I, I kind of laugh when, when 4G, 5G came out because I'm like, well, I could rewind the 3G, 4G discussion and rewind the pre-3G discussion and uh, if you're tracking those trends, the next one, I, I don't think surprises you much as, as some. As someone who also uh, uses Twitter, but more for the, the ability to announce news or find news, I always did appreciate that you were somebody who would was not just putting up useless information, if you will. You were always somebody <laughs> yeah. who was very active, and, and we appreciated that as somebody is, is not all CIOs to follow your, your approach. Uh, Bill, we're just about out of time before I let you go. Let me just ask you one thing. There's so much good about being in federal service and, and there's so many pieces and parts to it. What, what's kind of maybe your party message, if you will? I know you're not leaving, you're, you're still being seen in the federal sector, but just from a different angle, but from a, someone who spent 28 years in government, what, what's kind of the one thing people, whether it's in government or out of government, really should should consider and keep in mind? Absolutely. The, the thing that has kept me in through the years is the, is the service, right? I mean, there's, there's a man or woman at the end of the line uh, that needs the technology for their mission, uh, whether that's for intelligence, whether that's for uh, a combat air force or mobility air force. It, it truly is the, the sense of service. I mean, I, I, I don't know that I could ever not, you know, kind of do the IT and cyber work in that realm. And so we self-recognize we don't get paid as much as we would on the outside, but um, there is certainly a, a self-satisfaction piece of that. If that doesn't drive you, then federal service is typically not not for somebody. But I, I do believe that since satisfaction 
uh, of service is, is really key. The other side of it is you work with some phenomenal people for the same very reason with some very shared goals. And so, yeah, I mentioned some of them, whether it's DOD CIO or the service components, uh, the Tim Hawks, the Bob Skinners, um, the, you know, the, the General Wegeman. I mean, all of those folks, you know, great partners and uh, tremendous sense of service as well. And so you, you just don't get to there's, there's great people in the world, but that, that sense of camaraderie and service is, is really key. And, and if you're if you're going to join, that's the piece that I, I never understood. Come just coming out as a college graduate you know, from a, a small college, uh, that, that was the life-changing moment and, and frankly, why I've stayed in there. Um, and it's frankly, the hardest part of leaving is, is not that that project won't go on because it will, uh, it's, it's really that teamwork, uh, those friends in crime, those, those brothers and sisters in crime that, that they take a bullet for you, so to speak, to, to make it successful and, and deliver capability. Bill, as we talk about the, uh, the advice you give to other CIOs, and I think you, you offer some really interesting advice, what, what's the other thing, when you look more broadly, spending 20 years in the government, would you, uh, what's one or two things you would change about federal service or federal IT specifically? I, I think the biggest shortfall that we run that um, is, a, is a multi-year probably fixed action, but I think we can do it quicker, is, is we need to build a cyber or a next generation IT occupational series. Uh, it, it seems a little bit systematic uh, in, in nature, but it's really critical to when we talk about the workforce and how we develop them and what incentive structures. I mean, we have a 40-plus-year-old uh, occupational series through OPM in this area. And, and frankly, I think it has huge amount of secondary negative impacts. And so I would definitely, if I had another couple of years underneath me, that that is probably one of the main, main pillars is, is canvassing at OPM and the federal CIO. I know Susan Kent uh, shares the same challenge of data science and analytics and cyber operations, cloud, mobile skills. I mean, it's almost criminal how old those occupational series are. And I think they're, it would pay us huge dividends to modernize those. I, I'm not sure what an 18-year-old would think if they saw the position description that I joined the Air Force on you know, 28 years ago, but that's exactly what we would hire them into. So we've really got to address that workforce occupational series if, if we hope to recruit that next generation uh, cyber civilian. I don't think you're alone in, in, in saying that that's a huge lift and, and something that has to be done. And we've been talking about it for probably too long as well, saying, well, we should do it, but it just has to get done. So uh, maybe it's something right. you can push from the outside on, in your next position. Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, Bill, we are out of time for today. So let me thank my guest. Bill Marion is the Air Force's Deputy Chief Information Officer. Bill, this was an exit interview, so thank you so much for your time today. And, of course, thank you for your service to the country. Thank you, Jason. Great to serve. I'm Jason Miller. You've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.